Welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner here in our Detroit TV studio. And Red Wings beat reporter Ted Colfin is in New Jersey where the Red Wings will take on the Devils Thursday night. Tuesday night, the Wings lost 3-2 in Buffalo. And first, Ted, how is Brendan Perlini, who took that skate to the face? I tell you, Mark, that was, being there and watching it, that was about as scary an incident as you'll see, mainly because, let's face it, nobody wants to see anybody's – nobody wants to see anybody ha- have a skate come anywhere near their eye and affect their vision. Mm-hmm. It's just that's – that's as bad as it gets. And it was close. I mean, when you look at his face, goodness gracious, that came within inches of getting near his vision. Um, he looked not, he didn't look totally that much worse for wear. I mean, there was a nasty laceration around the nose and just under the eye. Mm-hmm. All things considered, I mean, he's, after the game, he seemed in, in a decent enough mood. Uh, very fortunate. He, he was very grateful that he didn't you – know, obviously, it could have been much, much worse. But, no, just the, the tension inside the arena, I mean, everybody knew it was – it was a bad play, a just an unfortunate incident. And, you know, you just don't want to see that at any hockey game or at any level. It's just, it was, luckily, everything worked out as good as could be expected. Aren't you a little bit surprised, Ted, that doesn't happen more often, that there aren't more I'll collisions? I'll tell you, Mark, honestly. Yeah. I mean, the way these people are going these days with the speed on the ice. Yeah. And here you, and here you got a basically a razor blade on the and you know on the bottom of your skate it is i mean it's we're very i guess we're lucky that yeah it does there's not more any more gruesome injuries than there are after the game ted you talked to dylan larkin and here's what dylan had to say about the injury to perlini you know it's a scary sight anytime a guy gets a skate like that up high and uh seemed like it just was kind of slow motion too it just came across and got him i don't think you know uh, obviously it wasn't intentional or anything it's just a scary play and uh, he's doing all right i uh, just spoke with him back there he's he's uh, you know feeling better and he's a tough guy so uh, you know I'd, uh, we're happy he's all right do we know when perlini will return to the lineup ted he had just scored for the first time in 30 games in Sunday's 3-1 win over the Bruins. No, Mark, I think we'll know more about it after the morning skate Thursday. Uh, they didn't didn't practice Wednesday, and Jeff Blaschel didn't have any update of the, along those lines after the game. We'll see Thursday. I wouldn't be surprised if it'd be – I don't think it's going to be that long, frankly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't look too – like I said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time, I'm sure, to have that laceration heal. but. I'd be. I would. I would think he'll be back at some point this season, and maybe a little bit more quicker than we would think. You know, there was another scary incident on the ice last night, which might have reminded many fans of Yuri Fisher collapsing on the bench after going into cardiac arrest at Joe Louis Arena back in 2005. Last night, it was Blues defenseman Jay Bowmeister who collapsed on the bench after a cardiac. Incident. He was taken to a hospital, and there have been some updates from the Blues just moments ago. He appears to be okay. The game was postponed and will be made up later. The Fisher story, though, Ted, what do you remember about that game? The thing that stands out, Mark, just the quiet mm-hmm. 
the arena. I mean, we hear that phrase, you can hear a pin drop. My friend, honestly, you could that evening. It was amazing. 20,000 people in that arena, and there wasn't a sound. There was not a darn sound. Um, I'll never forget that, the quiet, the stillness in that place. It was fascinating. But you yeah, know, I mean, Fisher, that's, something, that's something you never expect yeah. from a hockey game and seeing a young athlete like that have a heart attack basically on the bench. But that's for sure one of the most unforgettable scenes I've ever been a part of. You know, uh, Fisher was actually unconscious on the bench for six minutes. He was resuscitated by CPR. He also had two more cardiac incidents the next two Mondays and retired right away. So really... In the course of about eight years, Ted, the Wings lost Vladimir Konstantinov and Fisher to rather unforeseen circumstances. Konstantinov, as we know, was a Norris Trophy finalist. And Fisher, back in that 2002 playoff run, he was often paired with Chris Chelios, shutting down the Sedins, the Peter Forsberg line. Fisher was like plus six in 22 games, six points, 30 penalty minutes. You can only guess how many more cups the Wings might have won with both of those defensemen. They won three in six years with Iserman, four in 11 years. All really good records, but a little bit of conjecture there too, right? Yeah, I mean, you never know. It's a, it's a hypothesis. Who knows how what would have happened. I mean, the salary cap came in several years later, so it would have been that much more difficult to keep everybody, yeah, yeah. everybody. But, I mean, you, you do wonder where Fisher's career could have taken off. Uh, it was, seemed like he was just rounding into shape or form as one of the better young defensemen in the league. And as far as Konstantinov, I've had a lot of people tell me that he was well on his way to a Norris Trophy probably at some point in his career. So mm. you do wonder, but, it's, it's a, I mean, it's tough to play the what-if game. Who knows what would have happened. But two major talents there, no question about it. Now, one of the new defensemen in the lineup now is Gustav Lindstrom, a 21-year-old defenseman from Sweden, a second-round pick in the 2017 Michael Rasmussen draft. Lindstrom is 6'2", 187, shoots right. He had five assists down in the minors in 45 games, and Teddy scoreless in minus two in four games. But how does he look? It sounds like from what you've written so far, Lindstrom appears to be the real deal. You know, he's, been, he's, been, he's been a good addition uh, I'm sure he'll be heading back to Grand Rapids here at some point. I don't think they're going to keep him past the nine games. But he's come as advertised. I mean, he's steady. He's doesn't get flustered on the ice. Mm -hmm. uh, good good first pass. I think there's definitely some stuff there that uh, they can build upon. Uh, there's definitely hope. Um, still needs seasoning, I would think, at the American League level. But he's made a nice, good 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 first impression here. And, Ted, any uh, trade rumors? We're 13 days away from the deadline. Certainly Jonathan Bernier's name could be in the mix now since December the 12th. He's third or fourth in the league with a 940 save percentage. Any other rumors that you're hearing? Not a one, Mark. I mean, as far as Bernier, there's no team that needs a goaltender at this point. So I wouldn't expect him going anywhere plus the fact that if you trade him then you need to find two goaltenders next summer that just makes the task that much more difficult uh, I still think Mike Green or Trevor Daly or one of the one of the two I, I maybe the both but I wouldn't bet on too much money I think Mike Green 
you could still fetch a fourth, fifth, sixth round conditional draft pick for a Mike Green. Mm-hmm. Although I wouldn't bank on it. I mean, by no stretch would I guarantee it. But there just isn't a lot there. I mean, maybe Andreas Athanasiu if he perks up here in these next couple weeks. And there have been some key injuries around the league. Colorado's had, what, Nazim Kadri's hurt. I could see a guy like Athanasiu maybe becoming an attractive option for certain teams looking for offense. We'll see. He played well the other night. He had two goals against Boston. A little bit more quiet the other day in Buffalo, but still. Mm-hmm. Talking about a guy who can get hot and you pair him with the right center. Edmonton, that's a good possibility. I think Edmonton might be a – especially down with – well, with David Hurt, that opens up the possibility. We'll see. I, it should, I don't think it's going to be a very busy trade deadline for these guys, but there might be a couple of possibilities. Coming up next, our special guest will be Farmington Hills' Megan Keller, the 23-year-old defenseman with the United States National Women's Hockey Team. We're joined now by Farmington Hills' Megan Keller, an Olympic gold medalist, a four-time world champion, and the all-time leading scorer among defensemen at Boston College. Megan, welcome to the podcast. You're back in Boston right now. (laughs) Yes, I am. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You're back in Boston a few days after that historic game. More than 13,000 fans came out to break the Detroit attendance record to see Canada and the U.S. women's hockey team. What are your thoughts about that game, Megan, now that you've had a, a day or two to, to sort of take it all in? It was an awesome atmosphere and game to be a part of. I mean, anytime you get to play Canada, those are the games that, that we work for, and, and anytime we can represent our country, uh, mm-hmm. it's always an honor to do so. And to be able to, to play in Anaheim, Southern California, such a non-traditional hockey market, and the amount of families and fans and girls that boys and girls that came out to watch us and 13,320 and it broke the, the Joe Lewis record like you said I mean it was a, a stor- historic moment for us and hopefully uh, we can continue to build on that and it was it was an amazing game to be a part of that's for sure. Did you get a sense early on, Megan, like during the warm-ups, we published a photo of you giving a puck to a young fan. Did you get a sense of, of what was about to become? Because the, uh, the pre-sales certainly indicated that you would break the record. Yeah, I mean, over, over our careers, I think all of us have played in games where the, the rings have been packed and, and in games where they haven't been so packed. And so I think uh, going into this game, our, our GM had notified us saying that we broke ticket sales already, but you never really know how it's going to feel until you step on the ice for warm-ups or for the first shift. And I think that's um, something that we all took um, took to heart and, and really soaked in when we stepped on the ice for warm-ups. And you could just look around and see see the thousands of fans already in their seats, ready to go, the, all the young kids. Mm-hmm. wanting pucks and sticks and just really in tune to the game and it really does make a huge difference as a player I mean when you see those families and those fans out there to support you it it makes you want to work that much harder and and hopefully we put on a great show for them we sure heard them on the ice that's for sure <laughs> absolutely and it's something you want to recreate like you said as often as you can right so this is a step in the right direction, especially after the NHL weekend three-on-three? Is that the way you see things, Megan? Definitely. I mean, I think women's hockey in general is just has been continuing to grow for, for years now. I mean, the women that came before us 
set us up and put us in a great position to succeed. And I think that's uh, where we're at now. We want to leave the game better than we found it. And uh, standing on those women that came before us and with the NHL getting involved and and supporting women's hockey and teams like the Anaheim Ducks um, taking us on and and putting on those games, it's been amazing to see. And it it just goes to show how, how involved the fans want to be and if we put it out there they'll come and support us and and this these past two weeks were a great showcase of that now short term you don't really have a a league that gary bettman and the nhl would like to form there's a lot of logistics and there were two leagues last year now one with five teams and apparently there'll be some like exhibition type games moving forward but it's interesting megan you talked about the contributions of people before you and now sort of you're in this you're not caught in limbo but you don't have a league where you'll be making a league minimum but you might be contributing for uh, for other players down the road yeah and I mean we're we're very fortunate enough to have uh, a strong group of leadership that continues to, to push the limits and and um, that's what ultimately our ultimate goal that we're working mm-hmm. towards is we want to create uh, a league that can last a lifetime, not just a few years. And uh, for those players to be able to, to have the infrastructure and the support and be able to, to make a living so that they can play hockey as their full-time job. And it's not just the national team players that are allowed to do so and, and to continue to grow and push the sport so that these younger girls can grow up and say, I want to be a professional and hockey player and, and know mm-hmm. that that's a real job that they can have in the future. And, uh, I mean, the work that uh, our leaders and everybody else around us that have stepped in, like Billy Jean King and um, people alike, I mean, uh, hopefully we just continue to push the sport in, in a better direction. And you look at other leagues like the WNBA, they just signed a new agreement, increased pay, improved travel, new maternity benefits. The average salary may be as high as like $110,000. Yeah. Again, you, you sound like you, you can envision that and you're willing to sort of, I'm not saying sacrifice, Megan, but certainly it would be nice if it was here right now. It would be nice to, to experience that right away, but at the same time, I mean, yeah. those girls like the WNBA and soccer, and they, they worked for a long time for that. And I think that's where we're at now. And, and we're just going to try and keep pushing the envelope and hopefully we we do see some of these benefits but I mean ultimately where we want our sports to go um, it doesn't have to be right away and we don't need to reap these benefits but we want it to get to a point where you know maybe we can watch uh, these Mm -hmm. younger girls someday be able to live out live out that dream and as soon as we can get there, it's it's better for everyone and that's why we uh, we keep uh, continuing to to push the limits here and hopefully we get there soon. Now, what's your schedule, for example, uh, moving forward? You're seven, eight weeks away from the world championships in Halifax and Truro, and then the uh, 2022 games are in Beijing, 2026 are in Italy, but short term, you've got the worlds. What's your schedule like? Yeah, so we just returned from a long two weeks on the West Coast in Anaheim, Vancouver, Victoria. Um, Those were the last couple games that our team has been able to get together leading into this world championship. So that roster hasn't been decided yet. And 
so hopefully we're we're all looking to to make that roster. And so mm-hmm. as of now, we go back to our normal training schedules. Uh, we have a lot of upcoming showcases with our PWHPA. We've got one in Philly and in Arizona. Um, so back to the grind, uh, usually just working out and training every day and, and getting on the ice as much as possible in order to, to be prepared for Worlds and hopefully ultimately make that roster and, and mm-hmm. help contribute to win another World Championship. Megan, you're 23. Have you put some other things on hold? What did you study at Boston College? What what other uh, avenues are you looking at down the road? Yeah, so I graduated from Boston College last night. So this is my first year out in the real world, you could say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I kind of hit the ground running and, and took off with uh, playing hockey. And ultimately, I want to be able to, to play this sport as long as I can, um, if my body allows me to, and, and my heart wants me to, I mean, I'm, I think all of us still play and continue to push the limits for our sport because we enjoy it so much. And we know that, that there's more groups, uh, yet in generations yet to come that, that enjoy it the same amount. So, I mean, right now, I think short term and long term, I want to be able to to represent my country and and play this game for as long as I can and continue to be a part of these national teams that, that uh, compete for gold medals and um, have the opportunity to represent my country. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. something a lot of us, we never, we never take for granted because you never know when, when that opportunity will end. So as long as I can do that, uh, uh, I'll keep pushing and and working uh, my hardest to train, to be able to, to represent my country to my fullest ability. Have you been healthy, like, over a long period of time? I watched the game the other night, and we've seen you play, and there officially isn't any open ice hitting, but there's lots of uh, body contact. I think on Twitter you sent out a, a preview for the game, and certainly they showed some <laughs> of the collisions. And But are you, are you relatively healthy going into this camp, trying to make the team, of course, for the World Championships? Definitely. I mean – I mean, I put out that video, and I, I love watching that over and over again. I mean, <laughs> the contact and the physicality, that's one of my favorite parts of the game. And I think anytime you get us in Canada together or any world competition, obviously, it's always going to be a grind and a battle. And uh, fortunately, I've I've been fortunate enough to not have sustained any major injuries over my mm-hmm. entire hockey career. and. Uh, my, that's been a different case for my brother, so I don't know. I don't know if, if he just got all the injuries of the family, but knock on wood, um, yeah, I've I've been healthy ever since. And I mean, at at the national team level, we're also fortunate enough to have the staff that we do that is always prepared to help us keep us um, fine tuned and and keep us in shape and and our bodies ready to go for the next game. And I mean, anytime you're playing. Uh, Canada or Arena World Championships or you know, Olympics. I'm sure NHL guys attest to that too. They they live it. Um, your body, you don't really feel all of the pain or the injuries when you're out there. It's, it, you want to play so badly and you want to win so badly that a lot of your teammates and um, your team would do anything to, to go out there and contribute. You know, heading into the World Championships, of course, there's still the camp and everything, but 
the Americans appear to be the favorites. They've won these world championships five times, of course, Megan. One time here in Plymouth when Hillary Knight scored in overtime. And in the last 11 games against the Canadians, who are going through a bit of a transition now with new coach Troy Ryan, your team is 8-3 and three against Canada. That sounds like you guys would be the favorites going in. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, these these past couple of times we've played them, it's it's been great to be on the winning side. But at the same time, I think that's what uh, makes us such uh, a unique and, and strong program is that going into these World Championships, I mean, everything that's happened in the past, I mean, none of that matters anymore. And each new game, you know, you know each team is always going to be ready to play. Um, at this level, the international play is, is unbelievable. So um, I think going into them, there there really are no favorites. And you can look at the records and the stats, but anytime you, you go and compete in this international competition, representing your country and, and competing for a gold medal, um, you always have to take uh, every game as, as a fresh start. And um, you're going to get everybody's all when you go and compete there. And so I, I think that's important to note. Now, during this rivalry series, Megan, did you notice a difference at all in the Canadian team? Uh, Coach Ryan said they wanted to perhaps go on the attack a little more. Did you notice any difference in this Canadian team? Because like you said, a lot of the games could have gone either way. Yeah, and they, they always can. And I think that's that's something that's so unique about this rivalry is it, it's a true rivalry through and through. You never... As a fan, you never know what's what's going to come out of the game. Being a player, you always want your team to come out on top. But um, there's a lot of hard work and, and time that goes into preparing for these games. And I think that's uh, something that uh, our team did really great these past two weeks. We really worked on uh, the things, the keys that we needed to work on as far as puck management and, and moving pucks up, ice, up the ice quickly and really capitalizing on scoring opportunities. So, I mean, whenever we are able to get together, it's it's more of a focus on what can we do to, to come together as a team, um, get that 1% better each day, because we don't really get uh, many opportunities to, to practice every day together like a normal team. So uh, I think it's more of a focus on, on our own program versus our opponents, but I mean, anytime you go into these competitions, they're going to be battles. <laughs> How fast is the game as we watch it um, on TV? Yeah, it's it's definitely gotten a lot faster, especially when you move up through the ranks of youth hockey to college to the national team level. Level. I mean, you need to move the puck and and be aware of what plays you want to make that that much quicker. And, and even just the physical speed of players. I mean, we all watched Kendall Coyne do her lap at the All-Star game two years ago. And, I mean, she's as fast as that time says. And, and to have her on our team is, is amazing. But there's there's a, the way that she's able to skate, but then also make plays that much quicker and, and move the puck that much quicker. I mean, um, it's, it's definitely exciting to see that it continues to get um, – more speed to the game and it, it makes it a lot of fun to play in and a lot of fun to watch. Take us back just quickly. Um, the last big game at Joe Lewis arena with 10,000 fans was in 2002. So yeah, 
you would have been five or six years old, but Joe Louis Arena, did that have any significance for you? Were you a Red Wings fan growing up? Oh, I was a huge Red Wings fan growing up. And I've always said uh, Nick Lindstrom has been my my favorite player for the longest time. And I've I've been to quite a few games at the, the Joe Louis Arena back uh, in the day when I was growing up. And so to to hear that that was the record we broke and that to yeah. imagine 10,000 fans in Joe Louis for a U.S. women's uh, Canada game is is amazing to see. I wish I could have been there at that age. I, I know my uh, Boston College coach actually played in that game and had a couple goals, Katie King-Crowley. So, um, I mean, to know that that place is packed to see them and here we are 18 years later and, and we just continue to, to build an audience. It's it's awesome to see. And being the Red fan I am, hopefully we can get back to the Detroit area soon. I know that the last year uh, they had the rivalry series game there at Little Caesars Arena. So that was awesome to see uh, those two teams compete there as well. Megan, can you fill us in on what you see here in Michigan as far as girls hockey? You're involved in the community, heavily involved. One of the role models for young hockey players. Um, I just saw on the weekend, Man and Riom tweeted about some of the success of the Little Caesars teams. What are your thoughts? Yeah, where, yeah, where Michigan is right now, because you have played a bit of a role in seeing that develop. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up playing hockey in Michigan. That's kind of where I was introduced to the sport and, and how I fell in love with it. And uh, to be able to to have Michigan hockey as my home roots and get back there. And, and it's really exciting to see all these youth programs grow. I mean, you mentioned Manoli Room and all she does for Little Caesars and girls hockey in the area. I mean, she was the first uh, female goalie to play in an NHL game. She's somebody that we all looked up to growing up and, and has continued to, to support women's hockey and, and push it even further. So it's, it's just exciting to see uh, continue to grow in that area and, and it's always fun to get back and, and go to my hometown rink and, and see all those girls playing or, or whether that be girls in the in the stands at Red Wings games, any rink, you'll find uh, little girls around. And it's, uh, it's the growth has been tremendous, and hopefully it just continues to grow. Are there any final thoughts about what's happened now as you get ready to, you know, the World Championships? And, um, I mean, you have your eyes on the Olympics, right? Yep, that's, that's always been in the back of my mind especially after the first one um i i definitely want to get back to another olympics and even from here on out if if i can make keep continuing to make the the national team those are those are always my goals and uh to be a part of of teams and help contribute to to win gold medals for as long as i can uh that's what i want to do but i think i can speak for myself and all my teammates when we we just want to continue to to push this sport to mm-hmm. new limits and hopefully create better futures for these next generations to come and uh I know we'll get there one day my my teammates are putting in a, a ton of work uh to make that happen and uh we're just we're very thankful to have them and hopefully soon we'll start to see this uh progress we know it's coming Megan, thanks for uh, spending some time with us here on the podcast and all the best getting ready for the world championships. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
Back now with Ted Colfin in New Jersey ahead of Thursday's game against Jack Hughes and the Devils. Jack Hughes is 11th in NHL rookie scoring, 20 points. His brother Quinn leads all rookies with 44 points. Ted, how do you think that um, Jack Hughes has done as the number one overall pick this year? I think some people would probably say it's a huge disappointment, but I would say the kid's 18 years old. He has a lot to fill out physically. We probably shouldn't have been too surprised. I mean, mm-hmm. the, I, the kid needs a lot more time to fill out. There's been glimpses. I've talked to some people who say that there's been gl- there's been glimpses of you see what he could become, but it's going to take some time. I mean, this is the best league in the world. When you're 18 years old and maybe you're not quite mentally and physically ready for it, it's just simply it's going to take a little time for you to do adjust to this league and. I think he's going to be a fine player down the line. Just give him time. Uh, it's been a rough go of it here, it sounds like, but the team hasn't performed nearly as well as people thought, which probably makes it that much more difficult for him too. But mm-hmm. yeah. give him time. He's going to be a fine player in this league. He's his speed and his vision on the ice. It's very impressive. He's going to be a good player. Ted, what did you make of Anthony Mantha's return to the lineup after missing 20 games? He had two assists, two hits, plus two, four shots in 1936 of ice time. That first game, is, it's funny. It doesn't matter whatever sport you're talking about. <laughs> first game, you're going on emotion and momentum. And yeah. you can definitely sense with Mantha he was that. It's, it becomes tougher the second, third, and fourth game. But no, he was he was he was very good, and there's no question that they missed him. I mean, you just see how the lineup, just having Mantha, Darren Helm, and Franz Nielsen back last night, you could slot players where they needed to be, where they should be. You're not playing guys up one or two lines, and it just solidified the lineup. Um, it was so easy to see. I mean, when you're playing some of those younger kids, nothing against them, but they're just a lot of them just aren't ready for the NHL right now, and especially in the roles that they were being used in. Last night, I mean, people were back in their roles and mm-hmm. some lineup. I mean, they gave Buffalo all they could all they could handle. So, yeah, Mantha played well. I think he said a couple times during the day after the pregame skate and after the game that he'd love to play the all the games, remaining games, and maybe average a point a game. That would for him constitute a good season. Um, well, he definitely got out to a nice start that way yesterday. And, Ted, what about the upcoming games on this four-game road trip? You have the Devils tomorrow, the Bruins on Saturday afternoon at 1, a rematch of Sunday's game back here at Little Caesars. And then on Sunday – at 12.30, the Penguins with Jason Zucker in the lineup. They own the Bruins, so that's <laughs> that is a W, huh? That'll be a tough game Sunday in Pittsburgh, though, because that'll be the third game in four days, basically the second game within 24 hours. I think they're going to get a taste of what Boston had last week, and Boston played at 3 o'clock at home, didn't get done till 6. They didn't arrive into Detroit till about 11 p.m. or so, and and you're asking them to play at 12:30 the next day. That's a tough, tough. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the wings are going to have a few extra hours, but it's essentially the same deal. It's going to be tough. I mean, and the thing is, Pittsburgh's flying a little bit now too. They're playing good hockey. I think the remainder of this trip's going to be a 
Stern Tusk. All right, that will wrap up episode 17 of Octopulse. Our next podcast will be Tuesday next week, February the 18th against Montreal, which will be just seven days from the trade deadline. I'll see you then. Take care, Ted. You too, Mark.